Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor and consultant. After over 14 years of being in business and running multiple companies, I felt called to start this show. I see many people struggling to start or grow a business, which is why I want to help entrepreneurs achieve success in business quicker, more effectively and sustainably. Today, I have an awesome guest. He's a super agent for celebrities, sports athletes, and media personalities. He's known as one of the best deal makers in the world, having business interest in over 50 companies, done over 200 property deals, and is still a licensed attorney. He is a creative master at making deals happen. Welcome, Steve Mandel, and thank you for being on my show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks. And, uh, I love the background in your show there, man. I, I have not been in Australia, but uh, I'm going to make sure I get out there. Yeah, awesome. So awesome to have you here as well, Stephen. It is an amazing place here. And um, yeah, we'd love to help and, and show you around when you do end up coming down under. So Looking um, forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur and dealmaker. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us a bit more about you and your journey. Gotcha. So uh, I think my journey actually starts out a lot earlier than you think I might uh, be telling you. Uh, it started actually in high school from the entrepreneurial standpoint. Um, I was finding a way in the States here we go prom. I don't know if you have prom where you live, but prom is a big rite of passage and you get a date and go out with your friends in high school. But I didn't have the money to pay for the prom. So I had to figure out a way to find money for the prom. And my buddy actually, I got to credit him for this, came up and said, well, I'm going to come with ideas. What do we do? What are you doing? He goes, let's, let's wash the windows, the neighbor's windows. So I said, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So we went to the, the hardware store and bought a ladder and a squeegee and all the stuff and sponges and a bucket. And we started knocking the doors. And we got a couple of jobs before you know it. We worked like a whole weekend day, just one day. And I wanted making like $87 at the time, right? And uh, which was good back then. And it paid my whole problem. I go, wow, this is a business, right? So that started my business in junior year in my high school all the way through, right, college and law school, I developed a big window washing business and also clean, clean gutters and was a terrific opportunity for me to have flexibility in my schedule, which we'll talk about a little bit later in terms of how I see financial freedom helping you out in your life. And, uh, but it was great for me at school, helped me pay for school, helped me like in my in incremental dollars to go out and have fun with my friends. And so that was my entrepreneurial spirit and I just got addicted at that point because I didn't really work really for anybody even at that point, right? And so, and my sales, I developed certain sales tactics at that particular point. I realized that if I went and knocked on your door, but nobody could see anything, but it was just me talking about windows, they weren't necessarily that interested. But if I knocked on a neighbor's door when I was working on a project next door and they saw the ladder up and they saw the buckets out and the cars and the squeegees and the tarps and all that stuff, and I'd walk over with a squeegee in my hand and I had the, the, the sponge as well, knock on the door and say, hey, I want to let you know I'm washing your neighbor's windows next door and and, uh, you know, I want to see if you want to get your windows done. And they'd stick their head out the window and go, yeah, 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 sure I do, right? And sometimes I ask the neighbors and say, by the way, do you know the neighbor next door? Yeah, what's their name? Oh, their names are the, are the Tims, right? Okay, that's great. And uh, so do you mind if I go over there and say that, you know, I'm washing your windows? And they're like, no problem. So I knock on the door and go, hey, the Tims family next door said I should come by and say hi because I'm washing their windows right now. And they're going, well, they're referring them over. What do I do? Say no. So I learned the little intricacies of how you could get the people right. And, and the sales tactics that was just as granular as that was and organic as it was, it was really developing skills for me that was really effective for me my whole life. 
Uh, and from there, I went to college and I went to law school and I realized I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to really like learn deeply about how to represent you know, individuals, right? In, in all areas of life. And so when I got out of school, I did all kinds of stuff. I did criminal, I did personal injury, I did corporate, and I really educated myself. The cloak and the cloak of the law, I learned everything about it. At the same time, I was involved in the sports entertainment industry business. And I was lucky enough that they actually had all those facets going on there. So you had an athlete, a celebrity, guess what? They had a lot of legal problems. They had things happening to themselves. And that's why, you know, you had to become a jack of all trades. But because of that also, I saw a lot of deals coming through, right? Oh, I want this athlete or celebrity to be involved in this project or that project. And I was also developing projects. So I was learning how to negotiate deals at that time, right? For that type of, uh, of environment. And I was also having my antennas up for deals that I thought might be good for those types of people and also for myself. And so one of the second projects I came up with before I took, uh, I took the bar exam and I was already working in this business, but I wanted to take a little hiatus before I got my bar results back. It's about a three month window. You take the bar exam in August and you get the results somewhere around October, November. And I was gonna start my new job probably around January. But in that window, I wanted to try something else and I started a dining club. And I went out there and I drove my car everywhere, like literally 150 places. And I signed up over 125 restaurants to be my dining club, buy one dinner and get one free. Why and how I sold them, my pitch was this. How much money I would go to at the time they had the newspapers, which were more popular now. But I'd say, I, I saw your ad in the paper here. How much your ad costs? Your ad costs you $375 to $500 for that just one ad for one week. Imagine if I brought in, you know, 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, all right, and the average entree dinner of eight to $10 at the particular time. Isn't that much better advertising dollar because they're already sitting in your restaurant? So I got them thinking I could pay $375 for somebody to see an ad who may or may not come in and convert maybe one or 2%. Or I could sell my dining club to you and you could bring somebody in and say, oh, here's my, my incentive to come in is I could buy one dinner and I get one free. And so they, their natural question was, I don't want to give away a dinner for free. I'm like, but look at it this way. It's not dinner for free. That's an advertising dollar. And I'd rather have the people in my restaurant spending my advertising dollar on that person coming to my restaurant and selling them on the food rather than hoping they're just going to come in from it on the paper. So they, I really did well on that. And I wound up having my first exit with that type of business. And, uh, and that business actually is still thriving today, the larger co corporation. I was a corporation to remove at this point. Um, but it was really good learning experience for me because at that time I had to be very innovative, okay? And so, and you can interrupt me anytime because I want to be conversational, but you want to hear my story. So maybe it goes too long, <laughs> but it was good. It was good instincts on my part, but at the time I really didn't have the budgets for you know going out and getting graphic designers and distributors and things. So what I was very smart at doing is I went to the, one of the local universities that was really really successful, really a, a tremendous university, which my son goes to now, ironically. And I went to their graphic department, their graphic arts department, and said, "Look, I'm working on this project, and guess what? They have students needing to learn." It's like hairdresser school, right? They like get these hairdressers, you go in for a cheap haircut because they're teaching you. Well, they wanted the students to have real world experience and I got them to make my whole dining club card and everything with it. And so they designed it all for me for free or for maybe a minimal money, like minimal. It was probably like one one hundredth of what I have to pay some graphic design firm, which is difficult at that time because we had the slicks and the papers and stuff like that and printing. You really have the digital aspects of doing this stuff together. Um, so that will go to my next business, what I'll tell you about. So. They did all the work for me. I went and I had printing costs, of course, because I actually had to print. It was one of my hard costs. And I went out and I sold it, right? Sold door to door. I sold in a paper. I put ads out. And so I had to learn all the things about putting together a business 
and certain things you trip up on, or if there's something wrong in the graphics, or the printing is wrong, or the paper is cut wrong, guess what? You, you have to navigate around it. Like, you know what? You could, do I get my money back? You fight with the owners. How do you handle those situations? And I learned again, how do you sell, right? So anyways, a great experience for me. And I became a lawyer three months later. I started in January of that particular year, and then my career took off. And that's why I sold the company, had the exit. And then from there, in the sports practice, I had two of my friends in the business were talking one day whether or not drop kicks were legal in the NFL, right, for football. But like, wow, this would be a great game. So we went over to Toys R Us, which is a big toy company. We looked at the wall, what they call the Great Wall of Fame. And we go, we don't see a game like this here. There's so many footballers that love people with football. So we went to the NFL, right, the official league, the NFL. And we said to the NFL, hey, you know what? This would be a great game. And so when they said, okay, so they come back with their ideas, et cetera. And I went over to the art supply store and just got a foam court board. And we literally like put stickers on it and bam, we did the whole gameplay. And I had a unique knack of putting gameplay together. And my partners were wonderful at the time. And, um, and so went in there and they said, look, you don't know anything about board games. You go find a company that can make it for you. We'll give you a conditional license. Cause I wanted to put all the logos of the NFL. It was an NFL trivia game, right? All about trivia and questions. And then we wanted to put the, 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 the official game status on it, which would have been great for marketing. And so we went to a thing called Toy Fair that year. Okay. And I'm gonna tell you this because it's important about the months. Toy Fair was in January of that February, early February of the particular year. And if you're not selling the stores by February, you're not gonna get in for Christmas and all the next year, usually like six months in advance. They, they do all their planning for the stores and they're buying at that time. And so I went back to the NFL because I went and everyone's like, well, we don't like the game. It's gonna take two years to develop. Um, there's already Trivial Pursuit. Like all these reasons for no or delay. Went back to the NFL and said, look, they're delaying it. We wanna start this thing. It's February right now. We think we got a packager who's actually doing hot dogs and hamburgers at the time. Goes, I'd like to do something a little more exciting and convince them to do it. And the NFL goes, you know what? Go ahead and do it. And they gave us the license. From there, things took off, which is great. I wound up getting licenses for several other sports leagues, including Major League Baseball and the NHL and, and CNN, the news, and Caesars Palace for gambling games. I wound up buying out my partners because I realized I was kind of like the engine behind like selling and, and, uh, and really, uh, I was really kind of the guy that put the, a lot of the board game play together. And, um, and so I bought up the other partners, right? So anyway, make a long story short, I sold in the game forever. I wound up doing big North American promotions with Holiday Inn and hotels and expanded from there. And I became game plan enterprises and had several other businesses from that standpoint, but I won't bore you from there. It's giving you a little bit of a base of how I got in there and what got me going as an entrepreneur and let everybody knowing, knowing that, that, and that to know that anybody could become an entrepreneur. Anybody could jump in. You got to have some confidence. And if not, if you don't have confidence, go out there and learn, start swinging away. It's common sense. All right. So I don't want to continue without you having some questions here. I don't want to dominate the whole dialogue. <laughs> no, that's awesome, Steve, that you got an amazing story and, and so much awesome experience there. So I think, you know, a lot of people will actually gain a lot of, um, you know, value from that in terms of what they can do. And I, and I think the biggest thing, that one word that I would say is that is creativity of, of how you do it with deals is how you look at things and how do I maximize, you know, the return and everything like that is, is, is an interesting part of, of business. And that, that's really how you have to think as an entrepreneur. So that, that's really- and Why are you doing it? Define why am I doing this? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Right. And am I doing it for, you know, is it only money? Is it, uh, I mean, I make money right now, but is it about the exit? So anyway, I just want to interject that because it has to be part of your thinking. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that, you know, probably alludes to, to the next part is where a lot of people, you know, they, they want to start a business and they may require a lot of capital or maybe they've got an established business and they've got capital and whether or not, you know, that they do want to exit, but when they want to get capital in, what, what key things should they, they know about and do? 
Well, number one, you have to put a plan together, okay? You know, a lot of people walk in somewhere and like, this is what I want to do. You're sitting in a restaurant or a bar or going to, uh, to a, an office meeting. And you know what? Somebody on the other side, you're asking them to have trust in you and invest in me, right? That's their hard-earned money. And so you have to have a plan. So it doesn't cost a lot of money to truly get on your computer at this point, right? Into a PowerPoint presentation about what the business is, the objective of the business, the mission statement of the business, what your use of funds in the business are going to be, how you're going to, you know, and how much you're looking to raise and what the valuation is. It's not too difficult. Okay. Um, and if you don't know how to do it, there's a lot of books on it. There's a lot of Google searches you could do on it. And there's quite frankly, a lot of uh, mentors or people or coaches, you know, that you can come to like myself and say, how do I do this? Right? So it's all your fingertips. You got to believe in yourself, right? And then raising money is always difficult. I mean, it's not an easy thing to go out and ask for money. However, if you've got a great plan, remember, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money, but they're, they're, they're not as creative either. And so they're excited about doing new things. I get excited about doing new things. I've invested in different deals. I get excited about being involved in. And, you know, and even though you're successful in one area of life, it's part of being part of a project and teamwork and camaraderie and also success. Somebody can have this great idea and I, nothing makes me more excited than seeing somebody with a great intellectual property opportunity. Like I filed a patent, nobody could do this. I got this technology that does X, Y, and Z and I love to evaluate and I love to jump on. So a lot of people feel that way as well too, right? So, but they have to have confidence in you that you can implement and you can go ahead and, and execute. It's all about execution. If I don't feel you can execute, I'm not gonna invest in you. So show people you can execute, show me a plan, lay it out for them, show it to them in a really great color PowerPoint with all the details, use the funds, show them that you're not hiding anything and you know what you're doing. Absolutely important. Yeah, no, really amazing points. And I think the key one, you know, for everyone there is, you know, people buy people. When you're doing things like that, that you know, you're really buying the entrepreneur founder, you know, the investor there, right? So they, they've got to have the confidence that you, you, you know, you'll deliver um, what you promised and you're going to work hard and, and really make it happen because, you know, entrepreneurship business is, is, is a roller coaster ride. It's always ups and downs, but that persistence um, will get you there. And, and a, a really key point you touched on was IP. So, you know, intellectual property. So, so how important is protecting your IP and, and what's involved, you know, you, know, you know, for example, in regards to trademarks and patents? You know, it's interesting. It's probably the most confusing part of this for a lot of people and probably the most expensive as well, too. But part of intellectual property, you got things like, you know, trademarks, right? You got patents, utility patents, design patents. And so there's different categories, which attorneys really can break down a little bit better. But it's always good to get a well-rounded feel for it. Google, do some researching. It really is out there. You can see it. Doesn't mean you can get it done properly. It gives you a general understanding. Um, and then certainly you have a thing called trade secrets, which isn't anything that you file, but it's my trade secret. So people can't take that. So, um, but <clears throat> what it really means is you have something very special, right? If it's commonplace, if it's already used, if it's already out there, you're not going to get a patent for that. You're just not going to write a trademark where it's a common name. You can't, you can't go out and trademark, you know, you know, business growth, right? It's just common. It's descriptive. It doesn't do anything unique, but I could go out there and do something like pizzazzy, pizzazzy business growth. And it's unique because it's right. So you, you want to make sure it's unique enough. So when I think about patents and intellectual property, I think about something very unique, right? Something people don't have, um, or they're perfecting something that they've been using or seen or part of our everyday society, or maybe not yet, right? Something futuristic. And I'm, I'm involved in deals with the hydrogen fuel space, which I love. And it's very futuristic, but yeah, it's here today. It's very green technology and I like it. So I'm very interested in that type of alternative energy, for example. But 
Okay, back to patents in general, it means you have something unique, something protectable, and something that people, you know, it has meaning. Why is it there? What's the problem? I'll let people go, uh, for this to work, it always has to be a problem. I don't think, I don't look at it like that. People are like, what's the problem? I'm like, it doesn't have to be the problem. How about, why is this better, right? If I got a better way to clip my nails, there's not the problem. I don't have a problem clipping my nails right now, but if, I got a, if I've got a laser gun that could come in here and clip my nails in one second, that's better but I'm not solving necessarily a problem. You see my point? The distinction is important to me. You know, maybe it may not be important to other people. Sometimes I see people with pitches and they're like, okay, so what's the problem? There is no problem, okay? The, the issue could be that I just have a better technology than the way it's been done before, right? You know, better way of putting gas in my car, better way of changing oil, better way of clipping my hair, better way of wearing my clothes, anything. So in other words, think of, problems but also betterment what's a better way of doing something right and so you know that's commonplace i mean people for since the dawn of time have found a better way to do things right you got a better way of making a wheel i've got a better way of selling stuff i got a better way of being a, in a brick and mortar store you know it started out that you know certain stores are out here forever and then you go to sears and you go to walmart and you got other ones and all of a sudden you got target well, now it's cool i always say this about about department stores right in the states you know it was never cool when i was younger to shop at a really cheap place like kmart you know, you'd be a little joke. I don't know if you remember the name Kmart for the store, but the joke was like, if you're shopping at Kmart, it was embarrassing because it was so cheap. But Target is cheap, but it made it cool and chic, right? And impressionable. And like, oh, Target's cool for everybody. So I love the branding aspect too, but they're the same stores. They may have sold the same things, but you know, it's all about branding and marketing that we see now. even ever so much more also because of social media right? And e-commerce and you got Amazon right now. And, and I have these discussions with people. And when I speak at, you know, uh, different events, I'll get up and I'll say, you know, who, who should have been Amazon? And in the States, they had a catalog called the Sears catalog, right? Nobody really know. People aren't raising their hand really readily. And I would always say it's Sears catalog. Why? Because it was a catalog of every retailer, like in the world selling, they had a hundred, like over a hundred million catalogs sent out. And they had the catalog from like the late 1800s until 1995 when the internet exploded. Nobody in that room knew to take that catalog and put it online with an e-commerce. I don't know. Anyway, I love to analyze things like that. Yeah, uh, really amazing points, um, you know, things to look out for. And I've actually got, a, you know, my consulting business, long-term agreements that came out in Target here in Adelaide, uh, in Australia, sorry, nationwide. And um, yeah, they are very big businesses. It's interesting because Kmart's actually performing better than Target now. And um, they're doing some changeovers of the stores. But because the same bigger company, West Farmers, owns both the brands, um, they're able to, um, you know, use that um, uh, and, and, you know, depending where the market's going. So it's, it's quite interesting there. Um, and I think, you know, like what you were saying is when people are looking at all these different things, I think a key phase is due diligence, right? And, you know, it's very important when you're doing different types of deals, right? So what should people, entrepreneurs should be looking out for, when, you know, when they're doing their due diligence? They, they need a checklist, right? Because sometimes you don't think it through when you're going through discussions in the first place and negotiations. But actually, <clears throat> I like to do the due diligence list before I even negotiate a deal. Because what happens is if you go ahead and negotiate the deal off the top of your head and think you've covered all the ground and you're negotiating all these points, oh yeah, point A, this is great, let's go for this much money, this is the closing date, this is what we're doing. And then you hang up the phone and you're like, oh, I didn't cover that. And then due diligence, you wanna go back and request it. It might change a material point in the negotiation. People get upset. You wanna make sure that that timeline and negotiation is crisp because there's so many emotions that go into a negotiation. So you always negotiate something first. You always have a contract first, and then you go into due diligence, right? Sometimes people want to do due diligence before they go into a negotiation, and that's kind of like what I like to do. 
what's the business about? What do I really think about it? Let me get all my points here so I understand it thoroughly. So when I negotiate a contract for what I'm going to do, I have it, right? Now, that's not as easy as like a real estate transaction. Sometimes the real estate properties for sale, you walk in and go, I love it, it's great. And you know, due diligence in that world is really about attorney review, right? You sign a contract and you have 10 dates for an attorney to look at that. You get an inspection of the place and you see certain things you may or may not like. So it's different than a business transaction. Due diligence is in all these areas, right? But due diligence is kind of a checklist with one thing. Due diligence with a, a property is really kind of after you kind of like it and you researched it and you, you like everything about that. And that's kind of like, I need to cover all my bases in terms of what this property is. Is the roof leaking? Is the, are the walls coming down? Or do they have termites? And do they have other, you know, other rodents or rats or insects or whatever? So, but to me, the strategy is to be so well-educated about whatever your endeavor is going to be that you jump into, right? The due diligence really becomes just that checkoff list going, I already thought about it, already thought about it, already thought about it. Now I have to formally take care of it. So those things are important because whatever you're purchasing or whatever you're going to merge into or whatever you're going to acquire, a lot of hard earned money. You probably have investors involved and you got to be, again, very well schooled and understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. So due diligence is very important. There's a lot of people that have like checklists you could go Google and research and look at. For me, it depends on the transaction, Right. Um, and you know, it all goes into, you know, how can I get this deal concluded from point A to point B, right? But never go in blind. You're always gonna get hurt. You're not gonna go uh, drive into a property and say, I love it, I'm taking all this, you know that neighborhood so well, know everything about it. So in other words, if I'm gonna go in and buy a condo, I know I can go in a condo sometimes and say, I love it, I'll take it, because I know the building. I know that if there's any problems with the building, a lot of it will come from the, the, the building itself because everything outside the drywall is the building's fault and everything in the drywall inside is my responsibility. I might be more aggressive in that situation as opposed to let's go buy a building or a house and I look at it and guess what? I don't know what's inside is going on. I don't know what's going on between the walls and I really don't know what's going on the outside. So I'm going to buy this property contingent upon the due diligence I would need to do in terms of getting the masonry guy out there, getting a sewage guy out there, getting the electrical guy out there, getting the plumbing person out there, right? Um, getting a landscape, make it do a soil test. If it's going to be a big building or it's going to be from a gas station or, you know, there's a, a big cleaners for sale. that I, I really like the building I've been looking at lately. I'm like, but I do know there's environmental issues underneath the soil. So you want to get soil testing. Lots of things. Make sure you have the checklist. And if you don't know them all, call an attorney and say, look, this is what I'm planning on buying because they're a, seri a series uh, of things they've been through in their whole career. And there's a checklist they can you know, help guide you through. Yeah, really amazing points there, Steve. Thanks. And, um, and I, think, I think that's the big thing is that, you know, really um, educating yourself on what needs to be done. But at the same time, if you're a bit unsure and, and, and especially if it's an important deal is get expertise in, you know, get people in that are going to help you that have done the process before so that, um, you know, even if you invest a little bit of money in that, that could save you a lot of money down the track because you could have, you know, big issues. And that's not, not any entrepreneur wants, right? Um, to lose money or, or get into manufacturing. And the manufacturing is another area that could be disastrous for a business. I mean, I did a deal with a guy uh, who was trying to bring me into a deal. And he had this very cool technology and intellectual property for and and I'm not going to say what the business was, but I'll, I'll give you enough of, the, of, a, of a, a scenario here. Um, and because it was requiring some kind of patchwork and technology on the clothing, rather than licensing it off, you know, into certain areas where he could have probably made a lot of money, he decided to venture into going and actually making his own fresh clothes. Okay. You know, all of a sudden jumping into the clothing business without doing that, you know, there's so many issues with sizing, materials, all kinds of stuff that can happen. So he went out there and ordered just an enormous amount of clothes, came back in, 
sent him out. He sold. He did so nicely because it was a cool design and a cool patent that he had with the clothing design. Um, sent them all to all the retailers. Guess what? Sizing was off. Sleeves were too long. You know, it was too tight in the in the in the ab area. A number of problems. So he's sitting with an enormous amount of inventory. He's, he did an overseas production. By the time you get through all this whole morass, he lost the whole business. I bring it up because I feel bad when I hear that, right? It's kind of like, don't pretend to do something that you just, unless you have somebody really backing you up and knowing what they're doing here, just don't jump into it. You, it can be disastrous. It's exciting, but do it in smaller phases then. Do the MVP, the minimum viable product. Get out smaller quantities first, test it a little bit, right? It can't all of a sudden be a big Walmart purchase and get it out there and let's go. Because if it's defective, which is the biggest disaster in most manufacturing deals, it's the only nightmare you can have, right? It's defective when it gets to you, but it's a whole host of things because you're dealing with a foreign company if you're going to be importing, unless it's made here, but you still have a battle. And a lot of times you have to make sure your due diligence in those situations are, let me see the product before I take possession of it, right? Yeah. Let me go see those games before I actually buy 25 or 50,000 of these games. I want to see them. That's what I did. You know, and you can walk in sometimes going, the box is wrong. It's crooked. I'm doing something in the sports space right now with balls. And I looked at the size of the football and they go, the football's off. Like the, the corners weren't coming together right. No one's going to want to buy that. You know, we didn't realize it was just a little bit of a problem. I don't know. The little bit of a problem is the whole problem. People yeah. aren't going to want to buy the property or the project or the ball. Yeah, definitely. Now, really amazing there for everyone to know. And, and you know, you're one of the best at consulting for businesses, uh, you know. So let everyone know, you know, a bit more about, you know, how you help businesses from a consulting standpoint as well. You know, I'm luckily enough, which has been great. Um, I've been coaching people and consulting with businesses all over the world right now. And, and, uh, and so it's been enjoyable. You and I had some sessions together and whatnot, and it's been fun. Um, but I love helping people bring their product or their dream or whatever they're working on to life and give them the proper advice they need. And, and by not having a vested interest in it, it's great because you really, you know, you want to let these people know, I care about you, right? I want to care about you. We don't want you seeing and having mistakes. And that's sometimes hard to get through people's heads. Sometimes when you are in businesses, you just only see what you see, right? You're only like narrowly looking forward and like, guys, you need to see the bigger picture. And I think I, I feel very effective in being able to do that because I've been stung before and I've had successes before. It's good because sometimes when somebody said they've been stung, it's kind of like, let's go. I don't want you to go through this, but I want you to see the problem that I had. It's wonderful. I had a conversation the other day, really great conversation with a guy who was doing a deconversion unit on a condominium association. And and uh, I was having a discussion about it because one of my condos was getting bought out by another group. And, uh, and so I have a good relationship on that side. And he said, you know, how we do it in other condos is that we buy out 50% of the building. And then what happens, we'll do a big special assessment. And so it's so high, it forces the rest of the people to sell the units. So I'm like, well, that's kind of dirty pool maybe, but that's their strategy. But I also learned from that myself because I really didn't think about that tactic because I don't think in those ways in that, in that, in that realm right? Uh, from a negative standpoint. I, I, I looked at it and I think I figured out just almost about every single way people could get you. And like I was, thought about that is really a way in which you got to be very careful when you own a property, a condo building, if somebody's going to come by the building, if you don't participate, this is what can happen to you. So it was another learning experience for me even. I'm always learning. So because I'm always learning too, I like to share those experiences. And luckily, I've been through so many of them. Luckily, I've been an attorney and how to look at a contract and break it down. And luckily, I've probably designed so many different things, having my own digital firm to design websites and apps and, and digital you know, communications and, and, and podcasts. I have a podcast agency to build your own podcast. So I enjoy that part of it, but I want to be the person explaining how you can build your, your full brand. Yeah, no, it's really amazing. And, um, you know, we met through the, the Doing Deals 
together and you know you're connected globally with the world you know with world renowned clients and if, if anyone has an idea and invention you are the man that can bring it to life and um, i'm very grateful that you know we connected and i, I look forward to working you. with you in the future and doing many deals as well um so thank you so much Eddie. and it's great to meet with you and on this great podcast and and getting to know you has been great you're a wonderful businessman and i know you care a lot about everybody that you're kind of doing and gearing this podcast to whatever you're doing business with. I know you got a good heart on this stuff and you, you've had some great experiences. So keep it going. I know this is going to grow like crazy and uh, I'll be able to come back and dissect some more of these areas for you in the future. Like we talked about a deeper dive into due diligence, a deeper dive into some of the deals. And if you want people to come on board and have questions and answers, we can set the next uh, podcast up for that as well too. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, thank you very much for your time today, Steve. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure many, Many people have greatly benefited from your valuable wisdom. So how can people find you and get in contact with you? Very simple. Go to my email, Steve Mandel, S-T-E-V-E-M-A-N-D-E-L-L, two L's, at me.com. Very simple. Steve Mandel at me.com. Yeah. Okay? Thank well, you. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. You can find me on Facebook, even Instagram as Ethan Cassiotis, or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. Have a great day.